Amen. You can grab a seat. If you have elementary age kids or right around there, we can uh, let them go out these side or back doors. Miss Kenworthy is leading the way that direction, and so we can follow out that way. One of the things we wanted to do this morning before we dive back into our study of the book of Hebrews is we want to take a few moments as the fall starts and just let you know about some opportunities, opportunities to get involved in a life group, opportunities to hear about Bible studies that we're leading, opportunities to go deeper in the Word of God, opportunities to serve, to be a part of the community, to, to love on our kids, to, um, to help us with this building, to help be a person that welcomes people into our community. And so I've invited Brandon to come up, and he's going to invite some people that are going to tell you a little bit more about how you can get involved with things that are important to them, things that they've invested in poured into this church, as well as some opportunities that you might have to say, you know what, this is the time of the year uh, and a great opportunity. We want to go deeper as a family. We've been coming every Sunday or we've been coming quite often, but we really want to just get more involved in our church community. What kind of opportunities are out there? Well, Brandon's going to come share some of those with you, and then we're going to dive into Hebrews after that. But we got a lot of exciting things going on this fall, and we really do believe it's an exciting time to be part of this community. Good morning, everybody. Everybody get a donut? Yeah, those are sugar-free on Sunday, so it's okay. <laughs> Calorie-free donuts. So uh, if you got one of these little brochure dealies, you'll see on the back of it, there's a section that says serve the one, the city, and the world, which is part of our, our, the heart of our community here. And initially, it says serve our, our body on the hospitality, clean, and vine kids teams. I'm going to invite the wonderful people who are leading those teams to come up and share with you just a little bit about what they're doing and uh, how you can be involved in that. So first, I'll invite Laura up. To uh, wonderful Laura Throw, if you don't know her, she's uh, wonderful. And Phil, who also is wonderful. Well, we are Laura and Philip Thrower, and we have been helping with hospitality for a while. And um, our goal with the hospitality team is just to provide like a welcoming environment, just as Christ has welcomed us to welcome people into our community. And so we do that with some simple, simple things like coffee and donuts and hopefully toilet paper in the bathrooms and um, a smile on people's faces. So it's a small commitment. Just our goal is once a month. So our hope is to have enough people that we would have four to five teams of people that would serve once a month um, on a Sunday morning. So it just involves getting here early and helping set up, picking up donuts, making coffee, and then cleaning up, taking out trash and things afterwards. Um, so we would love to have you join our team if you are willing to help out a little. And... Yeah, we'd love to have you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Laura. If you're interested in that, you can talk to Laura, or you can go out front. There's a whole bunch of sign-up sheets, which requires you to take a pen and sign your name. And uh, the pen has been uh, tested for COVID, and it should be good. And uh, just kidding, it hasn't been, but you can wash your hands because you're a grown-up. So anyway, the next person I would like to invite up is the wonderful Megan Matulis. Where are you? Hey, Megan. And Megan heads our clean team. And she's just simply a fabulous human. So here's Megan. Hi, guys. I'm Megan Matulis. Um, like Braden said, I just help schedule our cleaning team, which is a small group of people from the church who come up for any more around 30 minutes to an hour every Saturday morning. Typically, it can be any other day as well. But just to make sure that the building's clean, to make sure that there is toilet paper and the paper towels in the bathrooms, to make sure that we have, you know, trash bags and the trash cans and just kind of make sure that, so like Laura said, a welcoming environment for everyone to come in and feel clean, feel safe, and enjoy. You know, we'll clean off tables and door handles so that COVID-19 doesn't get anybody here. Um, so if you guys are interested in just giving up maybe half an hour to an hour of any of your weekends, maybe once a month, would be super helpful so that 
guy Nate over here can have a weekend off every now and then. <laughs> He's our resident cleaner for sure. Um, please come find me or you can find us on Realm. We um, on the cleaning team and we'd love to have you. It's really, like I said, not a big commitment. It doesn't take a whole lot of time like it actually used to. So if you're interested, I'd love to talk to you and um, we'll get you on the schedule. Thank you. Thank you, Megan. Yeah, if you would, you talk to Megan going to go and sign up for that. Next time you use the restroom here and there's toilet paper and uh, soap and towels to dry your hands, you can thank Megan and her group. And uh, one of the great things about the kingdom of God is that everything's flipped upside down. Like the person who changes the toilet paper is serving the Lord Jesus, serving the Lord, just like someone up preaching a sermon. And so get in there and serve. Uh, lastly, I would like to invite up Logan Parsons, who you all know and love, for our Vine Kids team. Hello. Yeah, so I lead the Vine Kids department. Um, we have uh, several classrooms over on this side of the building, and we do our best to teach our kids about Jesus. Um, the more volunteers that we have, the more direct that we can teach each individual age. Um, so if you guys are interested in helping out with our kids, teaching kids about who Jesus is and how to live out um, a Christian life, uh, we have a sign-up, just like all the other teams that were up here, we have a sign-up in the corner, um, and we would love to talk to you about what that looks like. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, Logan. I want to remind you that you can talk to her and uh, go do sign-ups, but I just did. So uh, the rest of that serve, the one in the city of the world, there are some opportunities to serve in our community. If you don't have one of these, you can grab one, and uh, it's right out front, and uh, opportunities to serve the world. You can take a look at the missionaries that our church supports many of whom you probably don't even know about. So you can go there and check out uh, where we're serving there. Uh, next, I'd like to point you to where it says grow in grace and truth. And these are opportunities for Bible studies. Treb already talked about our men and women's Bible studies, which will start, and the information is on there. But I would like to point out a new, two new studies we're going to have. One, Gary, if you would please stand up. This is uh, uh, our venerable Gary Roberts. And he, uh, there's a very classic book called uh, How Now Shall We Live by, by Chuck Colson. And it really looks into the Christian worldview and how it aligns with truth and reality. And it's an incredibly timely book. Even though it was written quite a while ago, it's, it's, it's incredibly relevant today. And so he's going to have a, a book club that's going to be at his house discussing that book and discussing how that uh, Christian theology works itself out in our everyday lives. And so if you would like information on that, you can contact Gary or you can uh, contact me and I will get you info on that. They're going to be meeting at their house on Wednesday night. So if that sounds good. Please talk to Gary. Thank you so much, Gary. Yeah, we have a reasoned faith. It is not just a shot in the dark. And uh, we believe what we believe is true. And it'd be a great chance to get and discuss that. The next thing is, uh, if you remember back in, I don't even know when it was, we did this Going Deeper class. We're going to continue on with that. Uh, also in the fall, there'll be some information coming out on that. So keep your ears pinned and open for that. In the front of this uh, sheet, I would direct you to the part that says Connect in Community. So these are our life group communities. There are six life groups, I guess seven if the Vine Moms group is also one. 
and I just direct you to this. Uh, there is, I've been, been aware of some typos and some other things I've put in there that have changed, but life goes on. You can always email me at the bottom, brandon at thevinokc.com, or you can go to our website and click on community and then life groups, and you'll be able to see all this information and click on somebody's name and send an email to them and find out about it. If you're not in community, you need to be, because there's nothing more beautiful than the fellowship of the saints. And if you're missing out on that, there are so many opportunities to be involved in it, and you're never going to grow unless you get plugged in on a regular basis to the body of Christ. So I'm not talking about Sundays. This is great, but this is where we do life. It's where we share life. It's where we share death. It's where we grieve, where we fight for each other. We pray for each other. We give each other money when we lose a job. This is where life happens is in our life group. So if you're not plugged into that, Get plugged into it. I'm just going to implore you to do it. And with that, I think we are ready to keep rolling. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. Appreciate you. Um, yeah, so Brandon and his infinite, we have a, a pretty deep uh, marketing and uh, management team around here. So that flyer was made by that group. So we're excited about that. Uh, we, we run deep around here. As you saw, our custodial staff was up here um, talking about cleaning the building as well. So the reality for us is that this church has always been and most likely always will be a body that's essentially run and moved and supported by the people that go here. So we put our resources into supporting and doing things in the community, sending money overseas, sending missionaries, loving well the people that we have here and the people in our city. And we try and do things that we can to save a lot of those resources. So we have folks that come in and clean our buildings. We have folks that, you know, take care of our donuts and coffee and come up here and just do those things. We have volunteers that fill our kids' rooms. So all those things are ways that we as the body can serve each other. You want to serve a young mom in our, in our church, one of the greatest things you can do is give her the ability to walk into this place and worship for an hour while her kid and, and her, uh, their family is just being nurtured and cared for. And so if you can serve one Sunday a month in our kids' rooms and give a family the opportunity to just worship, that's a incredible gift. Plus, you're literally sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with our children. These are huge, tremendous, amazing things. If you can give somebody the gift of feeling welcome when they come in, you stand at the door, you handshake a few people, you learn their names, you, you just make people feel like they belong. That's our whole heartbeat, right? I tell people all the time, I really don't have a lot of expectations for you when you come here. The two things that I really deeply want and expect and hope is that you would have an encounter with the risen Christ, first and foremost above everything else, and that two people would just be nice to you. Like That is the deep, deep sense of what we want to be. We want to encounter Jesus. We want to be a place where people are kind and graceful. And so you have opportunities to serve. So step by, stop by on your way out, look at those opportunities and get plugged in. Great opportunity to get plugged into life groups to go deeper in the word. Um, as Brandon said, there's going to be some going deeper stuff. That's going to be both things we can meet here and on Zoom. We'll be talking a little bit more as October rolls around, but it's a really exciting time to be part of this church. It's all too easy for us to check out, right? Culture's pushing us that way. It's pushing us towards not meeting, and sometimes rightfully so because of things that are going on, but also the problem is it develops really bad habits in our spiritual life. We begin to think that we can, hey, we, we can do this on our own, or I'm okay just gathering on Sundays and podcasting a sermon or reading a book. But as we've talked about, that's not what we were created for. We were created for community in the body of Christ. Online community is not community. It's a great tool to supplement our community. But community was created for the, as we talked about two weeks ago, for the glory of God and the mutual encouragement of each other. It was not created for your entertainment. It wasn't actually created for you to be comfortable. It was actually the design of community was for the glory of God and the mutual encouragement of other people, which means you were created to be a part of a church so that you could impact the lives of people. Not just so that you could walk out going, oh, today was good. No, so you could be used by God to change people's lives. We really literally ran into that in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. 
So these are important things, and it's important to not let the enemy whisper lies to you that says, hey, you don't need to be there. You don't need to be part of the body. You can get everything you need or listen to a couple of podcasts and reading a book and doing all those things. It's just not true. You can supplement your Christian life in beautiful ways. It's so true. But you can't be authentically part of the body, the arms, the legs, the feet, those pieces of the body of Christ, unless you're a deep part of the community. And so that's what we're trying to do is create opportunity for that. So this morning, we're going to quickly, because we've done a lot of other things this morning, and we're still going to celebrate communion together, so it's a big Sunday. We're going we're to quickly dive into chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. And we're going to begin to talk about this idea of faith. It's actually going to carry us through the next five weeks. So I told you a few weeks ago, we've turned the corner in our study. Now, we've been looking at Hebrews now for 25 weeks. So over almost half a year, I guess, we've been looking at the book of Hebrews. And for almost all of that, it has been a sort of a deep theological launch. It's been a study in the why. The why the old covenant is not um, supposed to be the fulfillment of the new covenant is. Why the law is not as good as Jesus. Why Jesus is better than the angels. And why Jesus is the better and new high priest. And It's a theological marvel that takes us down this road that tells us a lot of the whys and the whys nots. And remember, the author is speaking to this group of Hebrew Christians trying to convince them not to return to their old way of life that culture's pressing in on them. To return to Judaism. To go back to the sacrificial system that the Jews were living under. But he's saying, listen, don't do that. You've been given in this new life in Christ, Jesus has this incredible gift for you. He is your new high priest. He is the access point to God. He is better, and he is all that you need. And he's made this entire argument. We'll get up to the end of chapter 10, and everything's going to begin to turn towards the practical. It begins to turn towards the now what. If I truly believe that, what now? And we started unpacking that a couple of weeks ago. And last week, we looked at this sort of stern warning that our author gives. He actually gives us this deep difficult and very stern warning that says there are real consequences for not believing that Jesus is God's son. There are actually eternal consequences for rejecting Christ. And he, it's very strong, it's very direct, and it's very true. And he says, however, in the middle of all that reality, there are also incredible blessings, right? Bigger and greater things for believing that Jesus is God's son and those things are literally waiting for you. So remember, right? And he calls us to remember. He calls them to persevere. And he calls them not to be afraid. And we begin to look at how those things affect our life. That our call is to look for the bigger and the better. To persevere, to remember who God is, and to not be afraid. Well, this morning, he's going to turn a corner that's going to open up all of chapter 11 to this idea of faith. And he's going to hold up some incredible men and women, right? call it this sort of hall of fame of faith, if you will, these incredible men and women that exemplify what it means to truly trust and walk with the Lord. And so he's going to use a bunch of beautiful Old Testament characters as he's speaking to Hebrew Christians to show them just what true faith looks like when it's walked out. So we're going to ask two questions of ourselves this morning, and we're going to do those questions quickly. The first is going to be, what is faith? The second is going to be, what does it do? And we're going to see that unfold in Hebrews chapter 11. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn there. We're going to unpack it a little bit. And we're going to look at those two simple, yet really powerful and profound questions as they unfold in the first seven verses of the book of Hebrews. What is faith and what does faith do? Right? Very practical things. So let's take a moment, let's pray, and then we will dive into it together. Lord, I thank you that you are God. I thank you that we have nothing figured out and you have everything figured out. I thank you that we can hold nothing together and that in you all things hold together. I thank you, Lord, that without you we are but empty and broken people. 
But in you, Lord, we are mended and made whole. We are renewed and made new. In you, Lord, we have new identities. In you, we have new promises. Our sin is as far as the east is from the west. Fear no longer is our master. Shame no longer is something that we bow to. But in you, we have new life and grace. And in you, we are called as a community, Lord, to encourage each other and to glorify you. Lord, faith, truthfully, is one of those things that I wrestle with because it comes and goes in my life. It comes and goes often as the external pressures and circumstances mount. My faith seems to wane. But when things are easy, I'm a tower of strength. But what we're going to learn today and what we'll see today, Lord, is that faith is actually something that we can not just rely upon, but truly, truly anchor our souls to. And that it pleases you. It just brings you joy when we trust you. And so, Lord, for those of us this morning like myself that have just wrestled over these years and maybe even a decade or two with truly trusting you, with truly fully giving you all that we are, for believing that you are who you say you are, Lord, maybe this morning is for us to be reminded of the beauty that comes from confident expectation, trust, and total reliance. Take a moment in your own heart as you sit here this morning before we open God's word and just ask the Lord to teach you. Just to speak to your heart, however simple it may be this morning, just ask him to, whatever he needs to teach you that he will. Take a moment and just pray for the person around you. We do this every week. We want to be in the habit of praying for other people. Pray that God would move in them. Care enough about the people around you to pray for them. Even if you don't know them, never seen them, even if maybe you're here for the first time, just try it. Just pray for somebody else. Be someone that wants to see God move in the lives of others. Lord, we turn our entire morning over to you. Um, We do not invite you into this place. We know that you're already here. There is nowhere that we go to escape your presence, Lord. There is no void where you are not. And so, God, we ask you just to fill us with your presence, to teach our hearts, to encourage us, to convict us, Lord, to empower us by the Holy Spirit. We ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. So all of chapter 11 is going to unfold after these six or seven verses that are going to introduce us to this idea of faith. The rest of the chapter is going to be these examples, these incredible men and women who have lived this out. So on some level, these first verses kind of lead us down a path that we're going to be for the next four or five weeks. And we're going to get introduced to the idea of faith, what it is, what it does. And then he's going to give us three quick examples. And as I said, we're going to kind of move through this stuff a little bit this morning because really it's a much bigger setup for what's to come. But this is what it says, Hebrews chapter 11, we'll go down through verse 7. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed by God's command so that what is seen is not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from his life, taken from this life, so he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. 
For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. And by his faith, he, commended that the wor- he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness that comes by faith alone. So here's what's unfolding in chapter 11. He's basically saying, okay, we're turning our thought process to how we begin to live out all that we've gone through the past 10 weeks. All of this call to the promise that Jesus is all of these things, that he is in fact better, that he is the great high priest, that he is better than the law, that he is better than the angels, that he is better than all of those pieces. That the new covenant is the greatest call of our lives. And he's saying part of walking in this happens by faith. So now he's telling them, this is how you begin to walk this out. Because you're going to face this incredible pressure from your family, from your culture, from the Jewish people. They're going to say, you're wrong. Jesus is not better. And he's going to say, part of this is pressing back from the cultural norm and having true faith. And so he's going to address these two questions. What is faith and what does faith do? And he's going to introduce us those three quick examples. And in the next weeks, we're going to hear a lot of stories about Abraham and Rahab and all kinds of great, amazing sort of stalwarts and heroes. But today he's going to introduce that idea. So the first question on the table is, what is faith? And there's not really a classical definition in sort of Christianity for what faith is. But he gives us these two great pieces here, which we can kind of anchor our thought process to when we talk about the idea of faith. And both of them come about in that first part of chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So faith. So the first part of this is the idea of faith is being sure of what we hope for. Now we've talked about hope a lot over the years in here, especially when we looked at 1 Peter and we walked through that book. We learned a lot about hope. And we learned the idea that biblical hope is very different than the hope that you and I talk about normally as a culture. Normally as a culture, hope expresses a little bit of uncertainty, which is like, I hope it doesn't rain, meaning I really don't want it to rain, but I'm not sure if it will or not, right? And Princess Leah says, help me, Obi-Wan, you're our only hope. In other words, the idea being, we don't know if you can help, old man, but we really could go for it if you did, right? I hope this happens today. I hope I get a raise. I hope this unfolds. Like there's this desire, but it's really drenched in uncertainty. It's just, we don't know. So we're kind of longing for something. And that's kind of how our culture uses the idea of hope. But biblical hope is actually very different. Having hope in something that is grounded in the Lord is actually built upon the idea of confident expectation. It means that we we are hoping for something, yes, but we're also expecting that thing to happen or be true. So when we put our hope in Christ, for example, it's not some sort of outsourced optimism by which we say, I really hope that this Jesus guy is real. We put our hope in Christ, we're actually saying, I have this confident expectation that what I believe and what I know and what I read and what I've experienced is more real than the air that I actually breathe. And therefore, my hope is in Christ, meaning all that I am is built upon the confident expectation of reality that he is. It's not wishy-washy. It's not built on uncertainty. It's actually built on what I know to be true. Therefore, when I put my hope in Christ, I stand on a firm foundation because my hope is anchored to certainty. It's anchored to assurance. And we get those two really displaced as a culture. 
We're not putting our hope in Christ as if he's the only one that can save us and we hope that he does. We put our hope in Christ knowing he's the only one that saves us and knowing that he will. So the first idea about faith is that faith is built on the certainty or the assurance of our hope, meaning that we don't have to be afraid. So faith is being sure of what we hope for, meaning I am assured that what I believe to be true about God is, that God keeps his promises and that God is who he says he is. So faith begins not with a I wish, but with a I am confident. And that's really, really important. Because most of us, even in our prayer life, don't approach God with an assurance and a confidence. We approach this with this uncertainty. And the reason that we do that is because we don't want to be hurt if it doesn't unfold like we want it to. And so we're just laying up our sort of uncertainty before the Lord. But the Bible is very clear. We place our assurance and our hope in Christ. We proclaim it. We believe it. And we live into it. And then we let God be God. Nothing will change that. So the first part of this idea of faith is faith is being sure of what we hope for. Confident expectation. Jesus is our Savior. He will return. He is the only one that gives life. He is my hope in life and death. He is my peace. He is my joy. He is my strength. It's not wishful thinking. It's true. He is a source of my confidence, my patience, right? He is my all. The second part of that is that faith is also, right, certain of what we do not see. So it's being sure of what we hope for, that confident expectation, and the certainty of what we do not see. Now, you know what it means to be certain of something you can't see. It means trust. We're putting our trust into something that may not be right there before our very physical eyes. I'm certain of it. Kind of like the idea of gravity, right? I don't see gravity as, a, as itself, but I see its effects. I don't float away to outer space. I'm literally held to the ground. I know that gravity exists. I throw a ball up, it comes down. I know it's there. I am certain that it is there, although I may not see it. The idea of faith is actually built around that same idea of trust. God is not asking us to do something blind. He's not saying put your blind hope or make this blind leap of faith. He has shown us throughout the creation of the world that he is real and present and moving. All of the evidences of God's work are around us, like the evidences of gravity. They are there. If you open your eyes, you will see the work of God. Hebrew, I mean, Romans 1 actually tells us that. When we look around and we see the grandeur of creation, we can't help but know that God is real. If you've ever looked at a sunset, stood on the top of a mountain, seen his, this sort of beautiful landscape or whatever it is, you can't help but say, this cannot be an accident. The depth of the human genome, these things don't just happen, right? Everything in creation leads us and points us back to the certainty that God is real, even though I may not tangibly, physically see him standing before me. I am certain of what I do not see. So the reality is that faith is built on these two foundational principles here. That I am assured, right, that I'm certain, that I'm sure of what I hope for. That confident expectation that Jesus is not just my wishful thinking. He is my all. He is my strength. He is my energy. He is my joy. He is my peace. He is my life. He is my sustainer. I believe it. I'm anchored to it. By faith, I believe those things to be true because I've experienced him in my life. He saved me and rescued me and he will never leave me nor forsake me. And I am certain in what I can't see. 
meaning that everything around me, even though I may not see God in this physical manifestation, everything around me points to his glory. Even in the troubled times, I can see the beauty of God in the eyes of my children. Right? I am certain that there is a God. Now, culture will want to wash that out of you. It'll want to tell you that the world's on fire and there is no God. But if you actually look around you, God is always at work and always moving. And we just have really short memories. We talked about this last week. That's what we're called to remember and to persevere and to not be afraid. So what is faith? Well, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. It is confident expectation and a trust that God is who he says he is, that his promises are real, that he will always keep them. And then he goes on to give us an example of kind of what that looks like, right? And he gives us that example. He says, by faith we understand that the universe was formed by God's command so that what was seen was not made out of what was visible. In other words, by faith we believe that God made this thing. And you cannot walk outside and not realize it. You cannot draw air into your breath and not realize that this thing was formed by God. Everything in creation points to God's goodness. It does not point to chaos. It points to beautiful order. Right? And then he gives a couple of examples of some guys that live this out. And we'll brush over these quickly. He goes, I'm going to give you a couple of examples of guys that, that really truly believed in this certainty. Right? And this confident expectation and this trust in the Lord. There was a guy named Abel, who we all know, Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's first two sons. Cain worked the land, Abel worked the livestock. Both, both of them brought offerings to God. Abel's offering was accepted, Cain's was not, mainly because Cain brought his out of sort of the necessity of having to bring an offering, and Abel brought his out of faith. A lot of backstory there, but that's essentially what happened. And God's honored and rewarded Abel's sacrifice because it was made of faith. He goes on to say Enoch, right? Enoch was rewarded by his faith by being literally not having to face death. He was plucked from this earth, taken by God. One of the things you see in Genesis 5 when God talks about Enoch is he walked with him. Enoch had such a faithful relationship with the Lord that it's expressed that he walked with God, right? He walked with with the Lord, and the Lord was pleased with his life, and God rewarded him in his faith by literally not letting him taste death. He just got to go home. And talk about cool. My dad always just say, look, I'm not afraid of death. I'm afraid of dying, right? What a reward for God to go, you're so faithful, I'll just take you with me. And then we see Noah, as you jump down to verse 7. Noah, of course, a story that we know, God calls him and says, hey, basically, I'm going to do some things here. I need you to build this giant boat. The world makes fun of him, throws things at him, ridicules him, hurls insults, all those kind of things. Noah, as we know, builds the ark. God floods the earth, and he is rewarded by essentially being saved, by being God's instrument, by being right, by faithfully listening and being obedient. So you've got these examples. That's all there. Just examples of men that proclaimed this confident expectation and this trust, even in the face of an onslaught of culture. They lived this faith out, right? Like from the mundane of just bringing a sacrifice that just is done in faith and not done out of obligation to the building of the world's largest boat. Like the whole scope of those things, right? Which means that our faith is not just always things that are giant. Having faith means that in my daily life, Lord, I believe my things to be yours. And when I offer them to you, I do it with a whole heart. 
But it also means, Lord, that I'm listening to you when you call me to take monstrous steps in life, to move, change careers, become a missionary, or just do something radically different in my life that I'm listening to you and I'm willing to trust you. But also just being faithful with my resources, with my life, being the person that you're calling me to be. This whole scope of things he lists there, right? But we see that faith is these things. It is the being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we cannot see, that the confident expectation and the trust that God is who he says he is. And God will do what he says he's going to do. So then the question on the table is, if we all know that, right? We believe that to be true. We can kind of talk about faith. We've, we've been down that road. We've explored it. You've been following Christ. You get faith. What does faith do? Because there's actually some very practical outcomes of what faith does. And they're important. And they're actually listed right there in verse 6. And this is what we're going to get into the rest of the chapter a little bit. But verse 6, he says this. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So he says, listen, what does faith do? Well, the first thing faith does is faith pleases God. So without faith, it's actually impossible to please God. So that means that without faith, your actions, your moral duty, the things that you perform, the way that you live, if not done in faith, and meaning with a confident expectation of full trust in Christ, they aren't pleasing to God. Meaning that if you don't trust the Lord, if you don't have faith in God and you show up in church, it is not pleasing God. He does not need your service. God is fully complete. He does not need your help. He does not need you to scrub toilets. He does not need you to lecture teachers. He does not need you to write your senators. All of those actions that you do, if not done in faith, are just simple actions. They're not pleasing to God. But when we do life in faith, right? And what that means is that we do it in confident expectation that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's calling me to something greater, and I trust him. They become acts of worship. Therefore, cleaning the toilet on a Saturday before everybody shows up on Sunday is actually pleasing to God when done for his glory. That's what that means. It may mean meaningless to you, but it matters to the Lord. These things are vitally important because here's what faith does first. Faith pleases God. And you know why it pleases God? One, because it expresses true love. Think about this. When you fully, I mean fully trust someone, when world comes at you and it gives you all these kind of alternate options that create fear, like you're going to run out of money or you're going to lose your job or your relationships are falling apart, and we let fear seize us over those things. We are essentially saying to the Lord, God, I am choosing these things over you. I'm choosing to be afraid. I'm choosing to worry. I'm choosing to be anxious. But instead, when we have faith and we say, God, I don't know necessarily how this is going to work out, but I believe that you are who you say you are, that you love me, you will never leave me nor forsake me, and that you have my life and that everything in it is yours. No matter what this world brings about, I will stand in you because you are enough. You know what that expresses? It expresses love, meaning I love you more than I love my money. I love you more than I love my relationship, even with my wife. And I love you more than I love my standing in this community. I choose you. And when we do that, we express love. Meaning, yeah, you think the thing I want to do on a Saturday is come up here and put my hand in a toilet that I know your children have used? No. But you know what? I get to as an expression of deep and true love because I choose Jesus. 
Not well all the time. But I want to express that. And express his love. Faith expresses love. When I don't let fear seize me. When even the world is pressing in on me. And instead of going, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. Help me, save me. I just say, God, I trust you. He says, God, I love you. I believe that you are who you say you are. Faith pleases God because it expresses true love. It also expresses honor. Have you ever been in a situation where your husband or your wife has done something publicly or maybe even privately where they've just chosen you? You know, where they just selected you over something else, over another opportunity, um, over the chance to go do whatever, or they just made you feel like it just mattered. I've had those moments, right, where I've just felt like I'm not worth a whole lot. But 25 years of marriage and something unfolds publicly and marriage just chooses me. You know how much honor that brings my heart to just know that I'm valuable that way to her? God doesn't need us. But when we trust him, when we have faith, it honors him. He's not needy like my heart is, but in order to understand that kind of honor, that's what it brings about. That when we say, God, I'm trusting you. I'm going to be confident in my expectation. I'm not going to let the world fill me with lies. I'm going to honor you in front of my neighbors and my coworkers and my family. I'm not going to back down. I'm going to stand up for my life in Christ. It honors the Lord and it pleases God. Because culture is going to tell you that God's not real or you should give up on this or this is all a joke or whatever it is. And when you stand up and you honor the Lord, when you live by faith, even in the face of the onslaught of culture, it honors God and it pleases him. That's essentially what's happening with Noah, right? The entire world is shouting at him for being an idiot. But he honors God. God told me to, I'm going to do it. God told me to and I'm going to do it. And he brought honor to the Lord and that pleases God. So what does faith do? Faith pleases God because it expresses true love and it expresses honor. And I know we don't see it like that because we're so inwardly focused on ourselves. But the truth is, faith, your faith, your true, true confident trust, right, honors God because it expresses that he is more and that he is enough and that he is good. The second two things we see all, all run together. It goes on this in, in verse 6. So faith Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must. That word is really important, must. Anybody who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So that word must is really important. Because if you're going to please God, there's actually something you must do. Right? We alluded to this a minute ago. You must believe that he exists. Right? And you must believe that he is a God who rewards. Now this is what I mean by that. Meaning that we can't fully trust and honor and love God. right? We can't do those things if we don't believe that God fully exists. Now it sounds trivial, but it's really true. Because in order to please God, we have to acknowledge his reality in our life. We do not get to pretend that church is where life begins and ends. Life begins and ends with the reality that God is real. More real than the air that you breathe. You may not be able to explain his ways. 
You may not be able to understand the way that he moves, but God is real. He's evidence in creation and all around us. That's what having faith means. In other words, your acts of service, as I mentioned, right? Acts of service are meaningless if not done with the belief that God is who he says he is. They're not. They're meaningless. In fact, at the end of the day, your good works, not done with a full trust and knowledge and belief in Christ, are actually sinful. You know, to to be true, as good of thing as it may be for humanity, if done apart from Christ, is sin. Your good deeds will get you nowhere. Your motivation to just be kind to people will get you nowhere spiritually unless done by faith because that's what brings honor and glory to God. So in order to please God, right, you must believe that he is real. You will never perform your way to God's affection. You won't. And we've all lived in this place, man. We've all tried to earn the love of the people around us. Heck, I did it with my dad for decades. You will never perform your way to God, period. The way that we first please God is by acknowledging that he exists. He's real. God, this is all for you, not for me. Not for my glory, not for me, not for my recognition, but just for you. And my faith, my faith pleases you because it expresses love and honor, right? But tied directly to that is that we must believe that he is real and we must believe that he rewards. Now think about this for a minute. God is not reward because we do. God rewards because he is so complete and so full and so overflowing that his nature is to pour out and lavish with peace and joy and strength and favor and goodness and grace. We're not talking about a monetary reward system where you do something good and God gives you a shroot buck, you know, or whatever, if you're office fans. Or Stanley Nickel, whatever. We're not talking about a monetary exchange. We are talking about as a God who so overflows in grace that he loves to lavish his people. And it's not a health and wealth. You do this, God gives you a new boat. It is a, when you trust and fully live by faith, God is not only pleased because you're doing it and acknowledging him, but he is a God who rewards And he wants to fill your life with joy and peace. He wants to exchange your anxiety for rest. He wants to reject your weakness and supplement strength. That's how God rewards. God will take the burden that you carry. It's why Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Because God is so sufficient and so rewarding that when we do things in him and for him, in faith, God lavishes out of his overflowing goodness. Which means if all the things you're doing are bringing about being tired, being worn out, being just having this inside of you that just feels like I never get a break, ask yourself how and for who you're doing them. Are we carrying these burdens? Are we trying to just do the good things because we should? Are we like Cain just bringing offering out of necessity? Because if we're doing them in true faith to express love and honor to the Lord, God will reward. And it rewards with light yoke, easy burden, joy, and peace, and sufficiency. 
And this is what he's getting ready to show us in chapter 11 are a bunch of men and women that lived this out. Life wasn't easy, but they found great joy in having a life full of faith. So if you're anything like me, which hopefully you're not, but if you're anything like me, your faith comes in these great waves. When life is well and good, man, I am walking with the Lord. But the moment culture and its tide wades up, I start to get bound up. I start to get anxious. I start to do things for me, trying to pedal them through on my own energy, my own time, my own space, my own way. When I do that, I can feel the weight of them. Because it's not being done by faith. It's not pleasing to God. It's being done for me because I need to or I feel like I should or I'm, or I'm just afraid. But faith, right, is being sure of what we hope for, that confident expectation, certain of what we cannot see, that God is so real, every breath that I draw is filled with his goodness. And it pleases him. I mean, it deeply pleases him when I acknowledge who he is and I believe that he rewards because I can express my love and my honor in the way that I trust him. This table that we celebrate as part of communion is really a picture of sort of this deep expression of faith. Although we don't see Jesus physically at this table, we know that he exists and we know that he's here because we know what he did for us. That everything in our life and our points to this table. It points to the sacrifice that Christ made. This table is the expression of a deep and true and rich faith in Christ. And it's actually an expression of what we see here in Hebrews. That I am sure of what I hope for. Right? That I'm certain of what I cannot see. Here's what I'm sure of this morning. That God is who he says he is. That Jesus died, gave his life, and rose from the dead. And I am certain that even though I cannot see him, he has filled me, changed my life, and redeemed me. That is the picture of this table. And we take communion, we do it by that faith with those promises. And when we do that and that acknowledgement, it pleases God. It pleases him because it expresses our true love and true honor. And God is a God who overflows. He wants to fill your life with who he is. On the night that he was betrayed, the very night that everybody would take off and run and abandon him, Jesus took a cup and after, or took the bread first, then he took the cup. I think I would remember these things. And after giving thanks, he broke it and he said, this bread is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after that, he took the cup and he said, this cup is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. This is the new covenant, the actual new covenant, which we have talked about in Hebrews extensively. This is the new covenant poured out for you. This is the expression of that. And we are proclaiming Christ's death until he comes again. This table is the manifestation of the new covenant. It is the reminder of what Christ has done. And so Paul tells us that when we take communion, we don't take it lightly. We should examine our hearts, set ourselves up, and make sure that what we are doing brings love and honor to the king. This morning we're taking communion by means of intention, which means as you come forward or in the back, take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. We'll have two stations. We'll have a group of our elders down here and in the back. If you have a gluten allergy, we do have that. That'll be up here, so make sure you make it to the front station. But I'm going to invite our elders to come forward, and then I will pray for us, and we will share in this meal. And I encourage you to continue to stand as we close out our time together. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful picture of Beautiful picture of what you're doing here in this community through this table. 
God, we thank you that you are a God who uses these pieces as great reminders and in great timely ways. That as we talk about faith and as we talk about community, Lord, it falls upon a Sunday in which we celebrate the ultimate picture of what that looks like, which is you giving your life for us fully, completely, so that we might know you. Lord, as we celebrate this together, let us do it by faith, confident expectation, certain of what we cannot see, that you are more real than the air that we breathe and that we trust you. And that, Lord, that, that might please you and that, God, you might be glorified and exalted in this place. And as we close our time in worship, that you would be lifted up, Lord, and that the community would walk out of here encouraged by the movements of God. We ask these things in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior, and our Redeemer.